0: Welcome to the Tinderbox. We are the podcast for matchsticks and gasoline. The Calgary Plains website for SB Nation. Mark Gordy and Michael tonight. Uh, Maddie not joining us. She's on her way to see the Flyers take on the Sabres tonight, doing a little bit of coverage of the uh, Philadelphia team, which is... uh Think sending her into fits of rage because they're not playing so well. So luckily for her, the Flames are playing well, so it's not a total loss for Maddie. So no Maddie tonight. She's covering the Flyers. But uh, Gordy, Michael, how we doing? I mean, Gordy, we've touched. It's uh, it's
2: windy where you live. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, dealing with some wind related issues today, I went shopping for groceries earlier and I put on my mask in the parking lot and I essentially had the reverse, uh, you know, the resistance parachutes athletes train with it was essentially the reverse of that I was pulled into the store by my mask. (laughs)
0: And thanks for joining us, everybody. That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> be nothing better discussed in our podcast than the image of Gordy being sucked into the store by the wind in his mask. Michael, how are you doing today? You can, can you top that? Do you have something? Uh, ah.
1: I wish I could top that. Uh, no wind up where I am, but uh, other than that, I'm doing okay. I haven't been dragged around by a mask anywhere today, so I can't complain too much.
0: Fantastic. All right, so we are three games into the season. The Flames are 2-0-1 in second place behind the uh the maple leafs in the Scotiabank North Division. Um Gordy, thoughts so far in the flames season? Um outside of the uh horrific, horrific collapse in game one, um, uh, what do you thought? It's a pretty good season so far?
2: Yeah, that watching that first game, it's like it was right back in August or whenever they played Dallas in that game six. It's just like what a good start to the season great start and then it's oh two three 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 losing overtime like that was that was a bad start to the season but i mean we expect the opening night loss so you know might as well get a point out of it and then since then like like what a goalie jacob markstrom is like it, like with how he's playing right now like the flames are a completely different team than last year
0: michael your thoughts
1: yeah, well, like already said, I, I'm also a firm believer in the opening night loss. I was doing a little bit of number looking up on it, or I guess research would be the better term. Um, but they've only won two games like that since I think '94. So on opening night, so like I wasn't shocked. But I'm glad they got a point, but then the other two games have been, for the most part, other than the first period last night, like pretty much fantastic. Um, yeah, they look really good so far. Just everything seems to be gelling well.
0: Yeah, I was watching one of those highlight packages of like the last time the Flames did something. I always feel like there's, whenever they're on, there's always some sort of the last time the Flames did this. And it was always a long time ago. I think Adam Party scored a goal. Like that's how long ago it was for uh, the Flames winning on opening night. So uh, there's that to take in. But yeah, that game almost seemed like typical. It's like, let's just lose this game and get this thing out of the way and move on. I mean, luckily they were able to pull a point out of it. Um, but I, what I've seen the last two games out of Calgary is what I was hoping to see um, out of them, you know, dynamic scoring. Um, Johnny Gaudreau to me looks like the Gaudreau from two, three, four years ago. Uh, he's, he's all over the ice. He's making things happen. I mean, watching him score from the slot in front of the net, normally Monahan's position has been kind of fun to watch um, thoughts on some of the guys that have um, kind of, caught you by surprise other than you know the the main stars like you know Lindholm's been fantastic so has Gaudreau but there's been some other guys that have come in this offseason that have really stepped their game up. Gordy?
2: Yeah I mean it's been a long time coming but the the return of Yusuf Valamaki I think has been more or less what we'd expect every game he's gotten better like I mean there's a bad play the deflection off of him for that first goal. But, I mean, it's been 600 days between NHL games or whatever for him. And if you look at his stat sheet, he's, you know, putting up more shots, hits, he's making plays. Like, he more or less should have gotten an assist on that Gaudrill goal last night if Canuck hadn't touched it. But, like, he's – I would almost recommend seeing him on the second power play at some point. I've been very happy with him back. So, yeah, he's been my my probably most favorite player to watch outside of the big guys, obviously.
0: Michael, I think I'm going to know the answer to this question anyway. But After, like, I was more impressed in the opening night overtime loss, but Rasmus Anderson, he's going to be a star, isn't he?
1: I think at this point, just all the signs we're seeing right now is that he could be somebody that becomes, like, a top player or top defenseman in the league in terms of just points and where he sits on this team, like, he seems to have just seamlessly slotted into a top pairing role, top power play role, and he's he's getting rewarded both with points, but he's also playing a very sound game and I know a lot of the flames hopes this year rested on him kinda of taking that next step and so far yeah, you kinda of got to it. He's he's all we wanted is more and I think um it's only gonna get better from here at this point.
0: Yeah, after that first game I I kinda walked away and I was actually talking to my son about it and I was like, they're they're gonna be fine. Like when it's time for Mark Giordano to move on, they're they're set. I think Anderson easily slots into that top role on the uh, defensive pairing. He's just been, he's been dynamic. Um, Speaking of defensemen that have been playing well, Chris Tanev, I don't know if anybody had major, you know, high hopes for him coming in, but maybe it's mainly because it's two games out of the three have been against Vancouver and he's trying to show them, you know, what they lost. But I think Tanev has been fantastic. Anybody uh, disagree with me on that or anybody want to expand?
2: Yeah, at this point, I think the comparisons with, oh, he's a re- replacement for Brody, he's a replacement for Hamnick, I don't think that's fair. Like, I've clearly never focused too much on Tanev, but, like, he's he's not only a good shot blocker, good defensive player, but he, he makes those little breakout passes, those little smart plays that I've actually been really impressed with how good of a hockey player he is. I wasn't quite sure, clearly, what the Flames were getting when they signed him.
0: Yeah, points-wise, he hasn't been anything spectacular in Vancouver, but, I mean, he's fourth in the league amongst defensemen so far in block shots. I mean, he had eight the other night against the Canucks on Saturday. Um, you know, Michael, I don't know, like, I don't think he's replaced. I mean, it's three games in, but I think he's, you know, equal to, if not maybe slightly better than what the Flames were getting out of Brody or Hammonick last year. Am I wrong on that?
1: Yeah, I think the big thing with Tanev is that – um At the start, or when they signed him, I was kind of worried he'd be kind of similar to another, like, Brouwer and Neal signing. Same kind of term, same kind of dollar amount, but, like, so far I've been pretty blown away from what kind of I expected based on what I heard to how he's actually performed. He seems to kind of think the game really well as a defensive defenseman, like, especially when he's been on the penalty kill the last two games. Maybe just because he knows his former teammates well, but he seemed to always kind of be like a half step ahead to get in the passing lanes and breaking things up, like... I've been really impressed with him. And then in terms of kind of replacing anyone, you can almost say like the Flames and Canucks did a swap with uh, Hamnick now on the Canucks and Tanev on the Flames. And from all I've heard with Vancouver fans is they're um, they're already getting fed up with Travis Hamnick, who hasn't really been a direct replacement for Tanev. So I think it seems like the Flames actually got an upgrade if, we, uh, if we've compared the two so far this season.
0: Are we actually saying the Flames may have won the offseason Stanley Cup like they did? (laughs) Like they finally have signed players that are actually going to contribute? Because the other guy that they signed that's been an absolute rock star has been Jacob Markstrom. Um, I don't even put the 4-3 OT loss on him. There were some defensive breakdowns. The Flames just kind of were on their heels. They, They let off the gas in that game. I think he's
2: been outstanding so far this season. Gordy? Uh, he's just—he's such a solid, like uh, unconcerning presence in net. You just feel good, like you feel confident when the puck's around him. When there's goal mouth scrambles, he's massive. He's good at controlling rebounds he recovers they're just the Flames as a whole just seem to be playing with so much confidence and I really think that starts from the net out when you when you you know trust your guy's going to make the saves he needs to you can play you know a little riskier make some some nicer plays make some you know more breakout passes and I think you know the Flames are just looking like a much different team with with that guy in that.
0: Yeah, I think it's definite confidence. I mean, it's really the first time in a long time Calgary started a season with a true number one, you know, who's supposed to be the guy. Um, The thing I mentioned, too, in our one of our little chats the other night during the game, uh, Michael, I don't know if you want to elaborate, but I don't feel uncomfortable when Markstrom comes out of the net to play the puck so far. Uh What do you think? I mean, Smith, sometimes it was like, oh, buckle up. Here we go. And, you know, Riddick was. I mean, Marstrom did have that one that he lost his stick and had to come across the crease and make that ridiculous save, and that loss lost to Winnipeg. But, Michael, uh, I, I don't know about you, but like I said, I, I'm comfortable when he's got the puck on his stick.
1: Yeah, he seems to kind of just be under control, pretty much in all aspects of his game, especially with the puck on his stick. Like, I would say he's not as talented as someone like a Mike Smith, but at the same time, when you get a goalie that talented, they're course going to want to play the puck more like Smith there, and that's where all these issues came up. Like if there's one thing I would say for Markstrom is that he just across the board seems to be very calm while he's playing the game. And that's what the flames I think kind of thrived on with Cam Talbot last year is that he's kind of always going to give you like a solid performance in net. And except with uh, Markstrom, you have a much higher uh, floor for what you can expect from like a strong goalie. But like, he just seems to always kind of be under control back there. Like I've kind of noticed that over the last three games is that he just really seems to calm the team down and, they know they can count on him to make a save. It's not kind of like a David Reddick who some nights he looks like he could be a Vesna goalie. And other nights he looks like he should be uh, serving hot dogs in the NHL or something. Like, <laughs> Markstrom's just really calm and in control, and I'm enjoying it so far.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's so nice to, like, when, you, when, a game, when the park drops, you're just like, oh, okay, good. Like, we have somebody back there who's calm. Collected. He's not gonna break sticks. He's not gonna throw sticks. He's not gonna lose his mind. It's it's actually it's nice for a change. Um, speaking of losing minds, uh, we'll bring this up real quick, and I totally forgot about it. Uh, this is the anniversary of the opening face-off line brawl between the flames and canucks under the old Bob Hartley days where Tortorella tried to fight Bob Hartley. So it's it's a shame it couldn't have happened like on the day the Flames played the Canucks. But um, as I I think I said to somebody today, um, probably the greatest opening face-off in the history of opening face-offs now you know any watching brian mcgratton come out i mean that's probably the only time McGrattan was ever on the ice to start a game um does anybody remember any thoughts any want to reminisce about the
2: good old days I'm not sure I would classify the 13-14 season as the good old days but, <laughs> but yeah that, that probably is the greatest opening face off of all time considering the you know they had to add a freaking wall to the arena like how, like nothing's better than that that's awesome like that's yeah it's great story great video footage wish you got into the room though honestly
0: uh, michael i love like they showed video i was watching like the locker room clip today and I didn't even no- notice it at the time. It's just Clint Malarchuk comes sprinting out of the locker room to go after Tortorella. If there's anybody I don't want running after me, having read his book, it's Clint Malarchuk. <laughs> Like I just, I don't want that guy anywhere near me. Um, Michael, any thoughts on the, uh, the opening face off wonderful line brawl anniversary?
1: Well, I mean, I remember when it happened. I think it was, I, I was on a hockey team. we just finished our game, like, maybe an hour before, so we'd all went out to, like, a Boston pizza after the game, and I remember we just as we were all sitting down, that's when it all happened, and it just – the whole, like, restaurant erupted into chaos because everyone was in there watching the game on the big screens, and that was probably the only thing I remember from that season that I actually really enjoyed. And then I would also recommend um, – I think it's, I don't know the name of the podcast, but Brian McGrath was just recently, I think, talking to John Scott the other day about the whole incident, and, like, if you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend it. Basically, he just said once they found out they were starting, they are like, yep, yeah, we're going to fight those guys, like, right off the start. And <laughs> I highly recommend checking it out. It's hilarious.
0: What was funny listening to Rick Ball and Kelly Rudy's call and they're like, Schmied's got somebody against the board. So I'm like, wow, that's the one game Schmied suited up for and actually played <laughs> his whole time in Calgary. <laughs> and, and it's a for the line brawl. Fantastic. So, yeah, I thought that was that was good fodder. That was what I like. That was one of the good old days. Not the good old days, like when they were the flames were exciting. But when defense used to score and Bob Hartley just didn't care
2: about anything time that Good. that one that one poor kid on the Canucks I think was making his NHL debut yep. <laughs> too and five seconds in he's getting the snot beat out of him by Brian McGrath or whoever yeah. he failed. Poor yeah. kid. I don't think he played again. I don't think I've heard of Kellen Lang after that. <laughs> no, he's like I quit I'm done. This is it's, it's
0: safer playing than like the minors somewhere <laughs> travel by bus. Oh, so excellent. Good times. Good times. So uh, Calgary's got some time off. Um, they don't play again until Sunday where they play a back-to-back, not back-to-back, but two games in a row because it's a Sunday, Tuesday against the Maple Leafs. Um, you guys, I think these two games will be a good judge of where the Flames really are. I mean, like we said, Vancouver and Winnipeg, not maybe the best defense defenses um, coming into the season, but Toronto's playing really well. Um, probably not. shouldn't get too high or too low based on what happens against the Maple Leafs, correct?
2: yeah if, if you're looking for uh you know probably a tried and true rival for the you know top two spots top three spots of the division it's going to be Toronto like I'm not sure Montreal will hang around there I'm not sure who's going to come back up but probably your most consistent rival for a top spot in division is going to be Toronto so at the same time you know like losses and stuff are not they're, I mean they're, they play them like eight or ten times or whatever yeah. like you, you have a lot of uh time to you know figure them out but then my blood ran cold earlier today when i realized that this break is essentially the all-star break this year and of course the flames are red hot going into the all-star break which like every other year they're going to come out and they're going to lose seven games in a row so i (laughs) i realized there's no actual all-star game but you know this is this might get ugly after this
0: well, there are some things you can count on every year, right? There's what death taxes, the flames loosening on opening night and then falling apart after the All-Star break. Uh, uh, let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about a team that I'm kind of surprised isn't playing as well as I thought they would, and that's Edmonton. Um, Edmonton's struggling a little bit out of the gate, and the only game they've won so far, you know, McDavid had a hat trick, I believe, Dreisaitl, and I think Nugent Hopkins both scored in that game. But the games they've lost, their top three have been absolutely non-existent in those games. Um, is this something you guys think will carry through the rest of the way for Edmonton, where if it's not McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins that drive the bus, um, is Edmonton really going to struggle? I mean, I know their goaltending is tough. They're not exactly the best defensive team. Um, did I maybe overrate the Oilers coming into this season? Michael?
1: Um, yeah, I I'm not totally shocked by it. I think we've known for a long time that if like those two or three big guns aren't going, and really the Oilers aren't going this year. And um, for whatever reason, they just – it's a combination of them just playing poorly out of the gates. I think they're missing a cleft this year on defense. They just kind of seem rattled without him. But um, it's also when you consider they're doing rather stupid things like having Alex Chase on, on their top power play unit rather than somebody like a Kyler Yamamoto or somebody – somebody with skill is like I think we we're talking about this with the Flames earlier like it's amazing what happens when you have your best players on one power play unit like you suddenly score a lot and I think the Oilers like they're, they're a team that's going to have to outscore their defense and their goaltending troubles this year if they actually want to have a chance to get anywhere and as much as they're struggling I think they're also shooting themselves in the foot quite a bit out of the gate here this season.
0: Gore do you have any thoughts or opinions on that or is it we all kind of in the 'Cause I had Edmonton as one of those teams I thought would finish easily in the top three in this division. And it's early still, obviously, but it it doesn't look like it's gonna go well
2: if the big three don't carry them. There's uh, I, I really don't don't understand who makes the lines in Edmonton but like looking at their forwards if there was one guy that would never ever touch a line with McDavid it would be Cassian and he seems to not be movable from that line so if like if that doesn't change and they don't start making better lineup decisions like Mike said like Chase on on your top power play is ridiculous considering some of the other talent they have But then, you know, we're forgetting that they're missing uh, the elite James Neal, who um, I'm sure will spark a (laughs) massive season turnaround on his return.
0: Yes, he's a goal-scoring machine, that James Neal. So I'm guessing that, you know, the the chase on is their version of the Brower play, and we all know (laughs) how well that works, so... (laughs) yay go Edmonton alright we're going to take a quick break here on the tinderbox when we come back we're going to take some reader questions you guys uh, threw some interesting stuff at us so we're, uh, we're going to try to answer them as professionally and uh, informationally whatever as we can that made absolutely no sense we're going to take a break I'm going to gather my thoughts and hopefully my brain works when we come back on the tinderbox
1: you ready?
2: show time
0: Welcome back to the Tinderbox. We are the podcast for Matchsticks and Gasoline, the Calgary Flames website for SB Nation. It's Mark, Michael, and Gordy this evening. Uh, We just covered a little bit of the early part of the Flames season. They're three games in. We're all pretty happy with what's going on. Um, Michael, you posted today asking readers for some questions, and we had some good stuff put out there. Um, I think this one kind of touches upon what we were just making fun of Edmonton for their power play. Uh, Robin Marie on Twitter asked us, What is the why is this the most effective the Flames power play has seemed in my entire lifetime? Is it just because the season just started and defense is bad, or are they actually doing something right for once? Um, Michael, we definitely hammered away at this on our last podcast, but I think when you put Gaudreau and Monaghan and Lindholm and Anderson and Kachuk on the ice together, good things are going to happen. I don't think it takes rocket science to figure that out, but maybe, you know, Jeff Ward isn't a rocket scientist thoughts
1: um for me i think maybe part of it could be that like some of these defensive units pk units haven't really had a huge chance to start practicing but like aside from the top unit being very good this year i think we've also seen a big step up from the second unit as well Mm -hmm. Uh, i remember in past years it's kind of just been you throw the second unit on the ice and they just eat the last 30 seconds of the power play and nothing really happens like this year, it really seems like they're carrying as much of their weight as they can. Obviously, they're not going to be quite as high-flying as that top unit, but like when you look at guys like Mark Giordano, Dylan Dubé, Andrew Mangiapane, they're all contributing on that second unit really well. I think it really gives the Flames a chance to roll two solid scoring lines, and I think that's why we've seen the power play so hot out of the gate is that they are partially thanks to the depth they've created in the in the team, but like they're just both lines can score whenever they're on the ice. I think that gives everything like a real conundrum on how much they want to play their top penalty killers against the top unit when the other unit can come
2: out and do just as well.
0: It's like finally for once the Flames can actually create some matchup nightmares against teams. Um, Gord, do you have an opinion on that question?
2: Yeah, I think a big difference for the top unit is it's no longer kind of the, the Johnny Gaudreau quarterback, him him kind of dictating the play. I think Elias Lindholm has really looked like the... The dictator of movement out there this year and I, I think a big difference between him and Goudreau not only the way they shoot is Lindholm's shot is a much bigger concern for teams to deal with than Goudreau so you see that like Goudreau's goal in that game against Winnipeg Lindholm I think everyone in the building thinks he's going to shoot and he puts that ridiculously hard pass through the through the slot to Goudreau and he buries it and I think You know, the combo of that as well as having two righties and three lefties instead of four lefties and one righty on that top unit makes a difference. And like Mike said, like the the second power play unit is, you know, it could be very well as good as the first. It's hard to believe, you know, Derek Ryan was on it this time last year.
0: I mean, I look at it, too, as part of it also, opportunity. Um, you look at it, uh, I'm looking trying to find the numbers for um, Winnipeg, how many power plays they had in that game. But they've had 13 power play opportunities in two games against Vancouver because the Canucks have just been so undisciplined out there. Do you think possibly that, you know, you get more opportunities, you're obviously going to be better? Um, but uh, I'm very happy with what I've seen out of the Flames power play unit, and I don't think that's something any of us have said in a long time but do you think maybe opportunity knocking is helping them
2: for Anybody sure? They, yeah. They, they, they've had a, I mean, their percentage isn't the greatest. Like I think they still have only had like one per game, you know, uh, since Winnipeg or something. I'm not, I don't have the stats in front of me, but there there's definitely been a few power plays where it's pretty typical flames power play where, Goudreau, Anderson, and Lindholm do the drop back five times, and it takes them 45 seconds to enter the zone. So there's still still some stuff to work on. So for sure, the sheer amount, the sheer volume of power plays helps. But I mean, at the same time, that's great practice to improve as a whole.
0: Okay, Matt Martins on Twitter asked us, who is more important to the Flames, Kachuk or Markstrom? Um, Michael, you want to jump in on this one? Do you have a, a thought on this?
1: Jeez, that's a really tough question because like, I don't think I've seen another player really with the Flames probably since Jerome McGillen that really has taken over almost every game like the way Matthew Kachuk does. Like, pretty much every game, even if he's not scoring, he's he's being brought up. He's in scrums. He's getting butt-ended in the face and then only getting a two-minute penalty, which I don't understand. Um, as important as he is, like I think Markstrom kind of just last night, like even if you look at that first period, pretty much any other goal he's in, I think you're – at least looking at a two nothing, maybe a three nothing game heading to the second and at that point the game's pretty much over. Like I, I think you make the argument like day to day Matthew Kachak for the most important flame, but over the course of the season, just the tone and the level of skill he provides, I think you can make a case that Markstrom is also the most important flame.
2: Gordy? I all have to agree with Mike like it like the argument for Kachuk is just it's you know you can't argue with how important he is look at the difference in the way they played in the playoffs when he went down like they they barely were a team anymore but I mean it's just like a quarterback in football there's usually one position in any sport that's just different to the rest and you need somebody to be good at it to be a good team and Markstrom's on the ice for 60 minutes a night not 20 or you know, 15, whatever Kachuk will get. So it's, you know, having a having a big, confident, good goalie in net is, you know, absolutely vital.
0: Yeah, and it's a fantastic question. It does. It breaks makes for great debate. And I think I'm with you guys, too. I think it is Markstrom, because if Markstrom goes down, then you have Riddick and Louis Domingue. If Kachuk goes down, at least behind him, you still have Lindholm, Goudreau, Anderson, Backlund. Manjupani, you have guys behind him. Yes, he is the leader. He is the heart of the team. He is the pulse of the team. But if he goes down, it's not the, you know, oh God, who are we going to fill with? Like if Markstrom goes down, then that creates an issue, I think, for Calgary with what they have as backup and then who becomes Riddick's backup. So, yeah, um, good question, Matt. And uh, I think we all agree. I think over the long term success of the franchise, Kachuk, but I think in the now, probably Markstrom, if that makes sense, to kind of condense it down to uh layman's terms if possible. So um what else we got that we think was a good one? Um well, somebody asked, what have you seen with Sam Bennett so far? And Michael wanted to have this answer just so I can rail on Sam Bennett. Um I'm just gonna say like I see what I see of Bennett so far every regular season. Eh, it's just he's just there. You know, mm-hmm. boneheaded penalty every now and then, you know. Okay, let's get to the fifty-six games, and then he can carry them through the playoffs. I guess, uh, whatever. I don't know. Um, not impressed. Not unimpressed. Just kind of what I expected. Uh, am I? Am I too hard on Sam Bennett, Michael?
1: I'm I'm so torn on Bennett because like everything he does in the playoffs, like you have to cheer for him. Like you feel like he's like the guy in the playoffs. But then as soon as the regular season rolls around, it just it's back to being just a passenger that hangs out until the playoffs show up. And I don't know, I'm kind of at the end of my rope with it personally. Like, he doesn't really contribute a ton. Like, I, my cool question is, Does is it just that he doesn't care as much in the regular season? Does he just not have a mental, like, switch where it's like, as soon as the playoffs hit, he can just turn it on? Like, it's just so frustrating. Because if you, like, look at how well he did in the playoffs, like, if he could bring even half of that to the regular season, become, like, a solid third-line guy, then, like, The Flames are even deeper. They probably last to first place in this division if he plays like he did in the playoffs. But I'm just so incredibly done with it at this point that, like, I I don't don't know if the team feels that way, but it's just he's so frustrating to watch during the regular season that I, I just can't do it much anymore personally.
0: So what you're saying, Michael, is he's too good for the regular season. (laughs) <laughs> he just has to get to the playoffs. That's a the, He just turns his nose and looks down upon the regular people who play during yeah, the regular season. <laughs> no, I like it. I think it's a,
1: that's kind it's of a great thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, you're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, I, even when he's good in the playoffs, I'm like, yeah, he still sucks. You know, he still drives me nuts. But Gordy, uh, what do you think?
2: I'll defend him a little bit because no! like, <laughs> this this season, more than any, like the Flames – are like absolutely stocked on top six wingers and top six forwards like you know it's it's Dubé up there now but if he's hurt for any kind of period of time like Monjapani, like Levo these guys are all top six forwards as well so you know Bennett can do whatever he wants in my opinion in the bottom six of the regular season and if he brings out playoff Benny every year and, you know, does what he does in the playoffs and the rest of the team is, you know, operating how they op- are operating right now, then I'm, I I don't know how you'd complain about a playoff performer, provided they get there, of course. See, so, yeah, that's my big always my big what
0: if with Sam Bennett is so if they don't make the playoffs, then He's what did we there. get from Sam Bennett? Exactly. Not no. we. I shouldn't say <laughs> we because I don't play for the Flames. But um, yeah, like yeah, whatever. Anyway, I'm moving. But I'm from Sam Bennett. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> um, so uh, final question is from uh, where were we here? Sorry. But that, but that was being daddy that asked about Sam Bennett. So being daddy, thank you for sending us down a Sam Bennett rabbit hole for a couple of minutes. We really appreciate your question. Um, finally, um, where were we to do, to do? I'm well prepared for this. JT Brooks on Twitter. Dubay's impact so far before last night's disappearance. Um I think Dubay's been really he's played really well. I thought he took a huge step last year, um showing that he's got a little bit of toughness for a little guy. Um you know, his offense showed, he skates well, he you know, I don't think he's ever a real liability on the ice. So um i I've, I've been happy with Dubay. Uh Michael, Dubay. I know you're a big Dylan Dubay fan, so what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I've been really happy just kind of how he's taken that next step in his game so far. Hopefully this injury that he had is anything major. I guess we haven't really heard too much about it yet today, but he seems to just, I think he's a good match for uh Matthew Kachuk and Elias Lindholm. Like he has, he has the high end skill, but as we saw in the playoffs, he's not afraid to kind of muck it up on a, on a chippier line. Like he did with uh Bennett and I think it was Lucic. Like I, I think he just has taken a really good step forward this year. And uh Hopefully yeah, he can get back in the lineup and uh keep clicking that top six and then he's also been a really good impact on that second power play unit, which we already touched on. I've been really happy as a whole this year.
0: That's a, actually I'm gonna throw another question in here from John S. He's uh, he, he who's a two potter. Um and we can probably handle both of these quickly. Um Gordy, uh Nesterov and Valamaki pairing. Um, you happy with that one so far?
2: A hundred percent. Yeah, I think there's a reason they haven't, you know, made really any changes to the defensive core. Nestorov has, I, I like, I've you know, I've seen him before, but like he's not shy to you know make plays. Like he's, he, I think he he hit the post, I think in the first game or maybe the second game. He's he looks really confident out there, and he's more of a stay-at-home guy, which you know is great for Valimaki because I've seen him jump up as the second guy on a rush a couple times. And, I mean, they've been no liability at all. Whereas, I mean, you know, the previous year's third pairings of, like, Shillington and Stone, like, they're they're giving up a goal every game and they're minus seven at the end of the week.
0: So what you're saying is you're psyched that Michael Stone signed a one-year two-way contract the other day with the fans. (laughs) Absolutely. Corey, do we think – (laughs) <laughs> no, go ahead. I was gonna say, Michael. Do we think that Nesterov is good because he's been playing since 1978 on the Soviet Red Army teams? He's the oldest-looking man in the NHL, is he not?
1: <laughs> I saw when he, they sent out his like headshot, and when they when they released all the headshots, I was like, "Who is this like 55-year-old Russian guy?" Who's just, like, <laughs> found his way over the team. Like, I thought we were watching some like bad like Bond movie or something. Like, he just kind of slid in there. Like, who is this man? turns like, out he's like not even thirty yet. So like I hope he's kind of done aging for his sake.
0: <laughs> right. It's like he was fifteen on the, the 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 Soviet Union to Soviet team that lost to the United States in the Miracle on Ice game. You know, it's like he was a rookie that season. I just looked at him, I'm like, Who is this guy? Good lord. He looks
2: ancient, but he's played great hockey, so I don't care how old he is. It's been fantastic. It's- For me, he's rivaling Anderson as guys I look at, and they look like they need a shoehorn to put their helmets on. They just look—they look the helmets look so tight on their heads. Both of those guys, Uh, it must be quite the quite the procedure pregame to (laughs) get a butter their hair down and slide it on. You put a little butter on the
0: sides and pop it right on. (laughs) It's funny you should mention that because my brother-in-law and I were talking about this on Sunday when Chad Henney came in to play for the Chiefs. He looked at me. He goes didn't he play for the dolphins? I was like, yeah. And he goes, wasn't he the guy that always looked like his head was too fat for the helmet. And it was leaking out of it. And I'm like, yeah, that's him. So that's, that's two fat headed helmet conversations I've had in one week. That never happened. So thank you, Gordy. I appreciate that one. Um, and I guess final second half of that question is someone uh, John asked know, would Gordon Phillips and Bennett be a more f- effective fourth line? You know, in other words, how does salary cap and player movement uh, affect our ability to ice our best lineup? Um, I don't, I mean, unless there's like a major crop of injuries, does anybody see Glenn Goddard or Matthew Phillips getting a shot right now this year?
2: Uh, It's uh, with COVID, especially like if you're not on the taxi squad, like it's, it's, it's going to be real hard to see any NHL action at all this year.
0: And you're also uh, Michael, I don't know what your opinion would be, but you're also throwing two more smaller guys on the ice as well uh, to replace. Do you think I just, I'm, I i do not see Phillips. Gaudin getting a shot this year. Apologies to Tracy, who used to run this website. She's uh, president of the Glenn Godin fan club. But um, Michael, uh, do you see uh, do you see any of those, either of those guys getting a shot this year?
1: I mean, I wouldn't hate seeing Gaudin get his chance, but like the Flames seem to really stocked up on these guys who can play wing and defense and uh, kind of play that bottom six role. So like maybe next year, maybe like guys like Ryan might move on, and yeah. there might be a few spots. I don't know. I don't think Phillips really sees any time almost ever at this point like i think he's almost more of a trade ship at this point but yeah forgotten at least like maybe next year but like at this point they're already getting a little bit up there in age for a prospect like i i'm kind of at the end or they just kind of seem like they've been phased out just cuz there's so much depth now in Calgary.
0: yeah and speaking of being phased out i mean poor oliver shillington just got to look at that and be like you really you brought back michael stone Michael Stone, really? Me? I'm not better than Michael Stone. <laughs> it's like that poor guy. Just he's 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 never going to get his shot, unfortunately, uh, with the Flames. So, um, anybody else got anything they want to add? I think that we, uh, Michael. Are there any other more reader questions you want to you want to break down, or are we good with what we had? Someone did ask why Lucic was on. I mean, the, Andrew <laughs> Andrew Mangiapane's left knee wants to know why is Lucic on the power play. <laughs> I,
2: I, that's I don't a, know how we a, can be. Compared. We don't really know. <laughs> that's a, I think that's a bad question, though. Did you see Dubay's goal? Like, what what did Holtby see other than seventeen in his face?
0: Well, and also, I don't even know if it was on the power play last night, but uh, who was it? Lindholm's goal. Who scored the goal? Uh, it was uh, Lucic. Yeah. He had the huge body check last night that leveled somebody on the forecheck that created an opening that led to a goal. And I was like, I, don't I mean, I do think sometimes Lucic looks like Frankenstein coming up and down the ice on skates, but. You know, three games in, I don't think Lucic has been this nightmare. I think people just like to rail on him because he's old, he's a little slower, and he makes a lot of money. But, uh, you know, I, I think in exchange for Lucic, for James Neal, I'm, I'm okay with the return.
2: <laughs> yeah. The third-round pick's going to be pretty sweet to cash in as well.
0: <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I think it works out well. Leave Lucic alone. He's fine, all right? Good Lord. Um, anybody else got anything they want to add before we wrap up here?
2: Our fiery takes have tamping the wind down, so that's, that's a good sign. There we go. We have
0: stopped the wind. Our hot air and BS is blowing the wind <laughs> straight the other way. <laughs> the wind is like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's on its way to tell Zachary the our takes, and it's, he's going to be mad at me. So, <laughs> all good. Michael, anything you want to finish up with? No, I'm all to get on my end. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this hard-hitting podcast, please check us out on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify or Google Podcasts. You can find us by searching Matchsticks and Gasoline or The Tinderbox or Calgary Flames Podcast or any or all of those in one big conglomerate combination. And you can find us, subscribe to us, download us, and listen. Uh, You can also find us at www.matchsticksandgasoline.com. We are also on Twitter at MatchsticksCGY. You can also find us on Facebook at Matchsticks and Gasoline. Gordy, Michael, thank you both for coming on. Hope you guys have a wonderful evening. Flames and maple leaves this Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. So that's uh, 2 Mountain Time if I do my math correctly, I believe. I've got the time zones down. I'm never going to figure out the temperature. We thank you all for joining us on this episode of The Tinderbox, and we will catch you next time.